The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded Australia's most trusted energy provider by CanStar three times. Maybe it's time you switch to Red. And for Prince Wine Store, Bank Street, South Melbourne and delivering Australia-wide, princewinestore.com.au. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkins. Welcome everybody to episode 274 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson coming to you from wintry Melbourne and back by popular demand after a couple of weeks away, Corrie Perkin in the heat waves of southern Italy. I left you in Florence about two and a half weeks ago, Corrie, and you're still there. You look like a well, I was going to say a Grecian goddess, beach, a beach goddess, something that's been swept in from the sea. How are you oh, going? I think, a, I think a beached whale, Caro, after four weeks of eating Italian food, I think that's probably what's happened to me. I'm great, thank you. And there is a heat wave in Europe, as a lot of people are uh, experiencing. And, in fact, my kids sent me a bit of an SOS, I think it was yesterday, the the weather in Sicily and Sardinia had made the ABC News. Correct. And reporting temperatures of 47 and 48 degrees. Can I tell you where I am? Those reports were grossly exaggerated. But today, I think the the top is going to be about 37. It's been sitting around 35, 36 for the past week and a half and um, possibly to get a bit hotter over the weekend. Oh, Corrie, well, there's a lot to talk about, but there's a bit of homework. Um, while the cat's away, we, um, we've done a couple of podcast episodes, one with our friend Nick McKenzie, who um, I spoke to about next year's Sorrento Writers Festival, and he sounded quite interested, which is great news. Um, I spoke last week with Anna from the op shop about... Um, the Vincent van Gogh exhibition, and I got a bit emotional because it really was one of the more incredibly sad and moving things I've visited. And I just want to thank Yvette Kaunt, who um, thanked us for another great episode. She sadly won't be going to the, to the Netherlands before early September, which is when the exhibition's on to, but she did visit Orver in October last year. She sent some beautiful pictures, and Miss Jane, we might put them up. Um, it, it's, a, it's basically an entire town now. The village, he says, is still very villagey and devoted to the memory of Vincent, even down to someone's letterbox, which is, oh, it's just extraordinary. And some of the stuff that's been written, Emma Young said she too cried when she saw actually Starry Night for the first time. Um, Kate Chalk has been in touch. Love the show. She's been playing catch-up um, while sailing around Croatia. Yes, very lucky. She had a giggle. Her cultural highlight too was Salvador Dali's house. Just brilliant. And went to that same lovely shipping container restaurant about a week before us. Honestly, who hasn't? Well, a lot of people haven't been to Europe, but a lot of people have been going to Europe, Corrie. Um, she um, is asking why I didn't mention the fantastic town right near Dali's house. And you're absolutely right, Kate. 
We're not trying to talk about it too much because it's so beautiful. She also went to Lourdes, day four and five of the tests, a long room in the members' pavilion. Corrie, um, on day five, the underbelly of the British aristocracy was on full display. IMO booing at the best of times is utterly unnecessary, but the behaviour shown towards our cricket team was intolerable and hypocritical by the supposed rule makers of the game. After an amazing test match and win by the Aussies, she walked away feeling a little hollow. Off on her last leg, trekking Mont Blanc. So she's sure she'll be over that anger by tomorrow. Corrie, a few of my bridge friends actually represented the MCC against the British MCC a few weeks ago at Lords as well. They didn't do too well, but they had a great time. Any homework from you? Uh, No homework from me, Caro, but uh, I I just wanted to touch on that point. You mentioned Aussies Aussies travelling. I think a lot of people are like me. They, for whatever reason, they couldn't or preferred not to get away in our first year of no lockdown, which was 2022, and everybody started saving their pennies. And I tell you what, Australia is on the move. Even when you least expect it, there's an Aussie accent, and including in this absolute no-name bar, tiny, tiny little street cafe the other night in Sheffalo and around us, mostly Italians, a couple of, I guess, German accents and Austrian accents, and two girls sit down and they're both from Perth. And um, they were telling us how one of them had been lucky enough to get Taylor Swift tickets and the other one had not. They'd been online all night, all day. Which all to get anyone's them. talking about here in Melbourne is Taylor Swift. Oh, well, and, well, and, and the Commonwealth Games, which you might have heard has been cancelled. Well, I did. Well, that's right. That's right. I, that was this morning's big news. So I'm talking to you in the morning, Tuesday morning here. And um, we all woke up to jump on the iPhone and see that um, the Com Games has been pulled. So the consensus of the 10 people here staying at this lovely house, all our 10 friends, was that was a sensible decision. What's your thoughts and how's it playing out there? Well, um, I haven't had time to really digest it. It's been a fairly busy day. Um, It seems to be divided between sensible decision and why the hell did we agree to do them in the first place? I mean, I think there was a bit of pressure. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember the history of it, Corrie. Um, I think, though, people... There's a bit. There's some questions about the costing, but it does seem like it was going to be crazy and too expensive. I wonder for the future of the Commonwealth Games, now that Melbourne has pulled out and regional Victoria, talking to Miss Jane, who obviously has more connections like you, Corrie, in regional Victoria, she said there's a bit of disappointment, obviously. And there was, you know, there was some crazy stuff, as we've talked about before, you know, swimming pools being built and then filled in. Some of it did seem pretty weird. I think um, certainly um, a few people have told me that it was a good press conference today by the Premier. Others are really just angry because we shouldn't have been doing it in the first place, as as I just said. And there's also, I suppose, a view about, you know, let's just hope, which is what the Premier, Daniel Andrews, undertook, is that a lot of these projects will go ahead anyway. And a lot of the promises regarding stadiums and regional facilities will go ahead anyway. Well, certainly the Ballarat family, Caro, have been in touch this morning and they're pretty devastated because Ballarat was to host the athletics and there's already a bit of infrastructure happening. Everybody was very excited. People, you know, kids like my grandchildren, particularly the elder one, Hattie, has become involved in athletics because it's kind of a catalyst, isn't it, for interest and 
and um, and community engagement, and they're just terrified that all of those programs will stop, that the building will cease. I don't know what happens. I mean, I think that's terribly worrying. But what when you mentioned the future of the Commonwealth Games, so all, I gather all all other Australian capital cities have said no thanks, we're not interested. Does it go back to the Commonwealth Games Commission, and they have to now find a new city that's willing to put its hand up? All, all I've heard, and, and as we've said, you've time-coded this conversation. Um, it's, it's pretty early in the piece. Could they go back to Birmingham, who hosted the last ones, and ask them to have another crack? Um, I think the only the only city in Australia that's shown even vague interest, I think the Perth Mayor Bezel Zemplis spoke about some interest, but no, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It's too short notice. And I just think, and I've thought for a long time as a sports writer, the Commonwealth record ceased to be relevant, really. Um, so few countries being involved. Now the Queen's not around even less impetus, really. It sounds bad, but I remember when they were held in Brisbane not so long ago and um, Charles and Camilla came down for it. I don't think Camilla really stuck around for all that long. I'm not a... I can't see it having much of a future myself. But getting back to more happier and interesting things, I left you in Florence. Do you want to just take me through how the trip has been? You haven't been away for a while. You've been so looking forward to it. You chose just to stay in Italy, but you've been in many parts and far-flung parts of Italy. Take me through highlights and what you've done. Well, after you left us in Florence, we had a couple more days there. Three of the five Floris were left, and we went to Milan. You left me in a gelati queue, if you remember. Yeah, we did. It was worth that. It was worth queuing. I tell you, you was you were so. We wanted to go and see sights and things, and you said, "I just want to have this gelati from this shop before." So, of course, that night, where did we end up, Caro? In the queue after dinner, <laughs> and uh, and good we gelati. had a gelati, and we agreed that was a pretty good move on your part as the last thing to do. Uh, so we went. We trained Trudy, Anna, and I trained to Milan. We had a really fabulous day there, walking around. The first of the sales had hit, so there was a bit of shopping happening we ended up that evening having a drink in a street or in an area which is a very uh um uh gay pride kind of uh all the bars it's very welcoming lots of young people serving us with just such open and fabulous attitudes and it, we, we had a riot of a drink Anna thought that they'd spiked a drink because she had to go home and go straight to bed uh, we, we left Trudy, said goodbye to Trudy the next day, and Anna and I then went to uh, Garda where we met up with the two Peters, our two husbands, and we had a really couple of fantastic four or five days. I'd highly recommend people go to any of the towns around Lake Garda. We visited a few via ferry, but we stayed up in the hills, Caro, in a place called San Zeno di Montagna, up in the hills, and you're about 30, maybe 20 or 30 kilometres from the Austrian border, so there are a lot of Austrian tourists we stayed in a funny place that I can only describe as a bit like Erskine House in the 1960s, 1970s. Erskine House. There hasn't been lawn. There, lawn, yeah. There hasn't been there hasn't been a lot of um, four star activity. Uh, this was a three star hotel, but we all agreed it probably deserved because of the view and the service to be a four star. But we had a great time there, and then we and then we came down to Verona. We had a day there. We said goodbye to our friends and then it was just Pete and I travelling solo Verona, then down to Bologna, which I'd never been to, which I think is 
um, hello to my friend Nick, who is a, a, an avid listener of the podcast, who said to me months ago when I started planning this trip, Bologna, in his view, is Italy's most authentic city. And I couldn't agree more. It was stunning. The food was incredible. The art was amazing. And then we trained down to, oh, no, we flew from Bologna to Sicily, to Catania, and we met up with another couple of friends at Taumina. I've been to Taumina before, Carol. It's very beautiful. Um, Last time I was here was maybe about 15 years ago. What I noticed was it has suddenly become a major tourist town. So a bit like Venice, you're kind of scratching around for the authentic Talmina. And it's there, but you have to go looking for it. And Is that White Lotus a, Territory? Is that where they filmed the last series of that, White yeah, Lotus? That, that, well, I haven't seen, the, seen White Lotus, but I understand that the beautiful, magnificent five-star hotel where they filmed it, the somebody was telling me that the um, concierge is almost a crying point with frustration about the number of people who rock up and say, oh, we just thought we'd have a drink or could we see through? Oh, we saw it on, and some are really overt. Like others pretend they have friends there, but some people are just overt and say, oh, we watched White Lotus, we loved it, we want to come inside. <laughs> so the concierge, now that they, they, the policy is that you cannot enter the hotel unless you are a guest, not even to have a drink. They are, they are apparently receiving dozens and dozens of people a day coming up to see them. So that's kind of interesting. And then after Tamina, we caught a train around to the from the from the bottom end of Sicily around to the top part to a beautiful fishing village place um, where a lot of Sicilians and Italians um, holiday, have their beach holidays, called Cefalu, spelt C-E-F-A-L-U. And we had a couple of days there and then we caught the train uh, to Palermo and where we are now with everybody is the Bay of Mondello, which is probably about 20 minutes from Palermo. So it's a bit like probably a Melbourne version would be Aspendale, but it's not Aspendale (laughs) because the coastline is so rugged and amazing. But it's that close to Palermo and... It is stunning. Uh, I mean, we are really in, in an authentic village where we are, so we're having an absolutely great time. So you're in. You're with your history club. Are you discussing history? <laughs> There's been a lot of history discussion. We 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 don't have a couple of that. We don't have the full content uh, quota of the history club, but we have most of it. But yeah, there's been a lot of discussion. I had a lovely dinner chat the other night with one of our gang. I was telling. He said, "Why Florence for ten days?" And I said, "You know, at the end of it, what I've realised is that um, I wanted to know. I wanted to learn again or do a deeper dive in, into why the stars aligned as they did." to start to kickstart the renaissance you know what was the thing or what were the components and you of course you and i were part of like marco our tour guides discussions and you and i have discussed it with the flores in florence you know mulling it over and now having the time on a holiday to reflect what i saw and absorbed uh it really you know it is possible for mankind for humankind to have these moments where we just elevate, you know, the bar is raised, the bar's raised for painters, for sculptors, for musicians, for writers, for people like Leonardo da Vinci to to actually uh, receive benefaction for these crazy ideas that can man fly, could man ever fly. 
and all of those incredible stories you and I heard about his attempts to whether they were folklore or not, we still don't know. But we, we hiked attempts. to his original landing strip where he first tried to fly a plane, although Marco, our guide that you found, who as it turned out was not a fraud and actually did exist, um, he um, he took us up there. It was a great hike, that hike from Florence to Fiesole, that lovely village, out town outside of Florence. It was. It was. You and I had a great day with Marco. Yeah, that was quite funny because I went through with locals.com, which I highly recommend I'll talk about in a minute, but um, I, I sent off my 100 euros to Marco for our walk and and apart from one or two emails over the last six months, never heard it again. Of course, my children were, oh, that's it, Mum, you've given it to the Russian mafia, you'll never see it again, bad luck, you've done your dough. And then sure enough, the night before you and I were to head off, Ciao, Cory. It's Marco here. I'll meet you in the village square at 8 a.m. And we just went, happy days. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, that was a that beautiful hike. It was hot and hilly, but it was absolutely beautiful. And he was a botanical expert. And whoever knew that there were um, evergreen oaks, the, the special um, – the Italian oaks and the lotus flower, the um, cactus flowers, those beautiful yellow cactus flowers. I mean, some of the plants we saw was stunning, but it's it just the vegetation, the olive groves, that beautiful house that's been renovated by the Australian architect outside of Florence. The views of Florence were just spectacular. It was just oh, a real, real highlight. So, yeah, the, the air was so fresh and we saw the quarries. We walked past quarries where they had started mining the stone in the 16th century for all of those buildings like the Duomo and um, Michelangelo had workers out there who used to bring all of these pieces of slate and rock to his studio so he could create his creations. You know, we were kind of living and breathing it really. It was an, a remarkable thing. And then because Marco had studied art history at university, we then said, what are you doing on Monday? <laughs> and then he took all of us around Florence for three hours. It was the best way to see the city. We were so lucky. Yeah, I, I also, I mean, I haven't been to Florence since the mid-80s with my friend Pixie, and we had such a great time. We were very young and probably very naughty, but we had a great time. And its I'd heard, you know, over the years it's become incredibly touristy, obviously hard to get into things, but we got into the Pitti Palace. It wasn't too crowded. We got into the Bargello Museum. It wasn't too crowded. The tour of Santa Croce, um, the the um, church that um, that was just extraordinary in seeing all those tombs and the central market well, I, where we had that beautiful breakfast it was a it was a great great trip well after you and Jane had left the three of us actually went to the Gucci museum oh finally uh, did it disappoint? We did. We can't, we, oh it was it exceeded expectation it's not big but it's stunningly done as you can imagine it's been overseen with such a curatorial eye and it really takes you through the Gucci, the history of the company, which started, of course, as a luggage company with suitcases. And now, well, the rest is history, isn't it, really? But it was so clever and so interesting. We had an absolute blast there. And um, we we really loved that. And I guess, you know, if we're talking tips, travel tips, one of the things, of course, you love to do when you're on holiday is to have no plans. But I think if you're really tackling uh, a European city at this time of year, the idea of booking online via your phone, which is not difficult at all, just book your tickets in advance is the biggest tip of all, don't you think? Oh, extraordinary. It, it, it makes it so easy. That um, At the, the Pity Palace, I've, I've just 
um, talked about this um, film with Anna from the Op Shop last week, The Last Vermeer, starring Guy Pearce, which is a story about art theft, forgery and the Nazis. But that story of Jan van Heysen and the painting that was given away, or you know, a, a soldier gave it to his wife after World War Two, and it was finally, finally presented back um, to um, the Pity Palace. And I think it was... Um, 2019 or 2018, and we saw it behind glass. That was absolutely extraordinary. And um, the Guido Ferroni exhibition, an artist I'd never heard of but absolutely loved. I mean, and that beautiful fashion exhibition, the whole thing was just just stunning. It was a a visual feast. I would have to say, I mean, before you guys arrived, when I was in Florence on my own, I went to the Uffizi Palace and... I reckon I probably stayed about three hours there. It's really good going to an art gallery on your own because you don't have to kind of stick, stick together um, or feel that you've spent perhaps too long in one room or looking at one artist and you've lost the group or your friend is bored. or like it, When you're on your own, you can completely immerse. And I love the Uffizi and I'll always, always go there because it's just such a remarkable collection. It's an amazing building. It's the home of the Medici. It's incredible. But I have to say, Cara, the Pity Palace, the Pity Palace overlooking the Bobbly Gardens is its art collection, its rooms, and the very orderly way in which um, visitors are able to access the whole palace was really a great highlight for me. Our morning walks along the beach won't be quite the same as that last one we did in the Bobbly Bobbly Gardens. Unfortunately, there were a few uh, moments that weren't so great. A couple of the lapsed Catholics amongst us struggled a bit with the Gregorian chanting monks. (laughs) Which ended up being, where they said... um, oh, my God, you've brought us to Sunday night mass. Where are the monks? I said, look, maybe the monks are coming after the mass. And the two Catholics said, no, we've had this in, in us too much in school life. You know, we can't cope with this. I actually found it quite interesting. I'd never been to mass not being a Catholic. So that was kind of interesting for me. But, Carol, another thing also we did when you were not there was we went to a concert in a tiny little church, a classical music or actually an opera. I heard about this. Yeah. Kind of best of, although there was some aria and some pieces that were less known. But of course, you know there was the old Madame Butterfly. You know, she's just before she stabs herself in the guts. You know, there were kind of like a few that you'd known before. There was also Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. That was great. <laughs> but it was just there were a couple of pieces that I hadn't heard. But beautiful tenor and a and a really talented soprano, accompanied by a pianist. And we sat in this old church, a small church. And we listened to this for, uh, I think, probably 45 minutes, then an interval, then another 45. What a, what, a, what a great thing to do. Really, if you're in Florence and you have an opportunity to do something like that, or any, any Italian cities, I think a lot of the churches are now used not so much for service and prayer, but for performance. Try and get to one. And we met some podcast fans. On our travel. Hello, to, hello, yes, to our Sydney siders, Graham and was it Virginia? Virginia, no. yes, uh, it was. Yeah, they've, they've moved to Florence for a year. They're, they're basing themselves in Florence for a year. Their place looked fantastic. And we were bailed up a few times. That was very exciting. And, you know, I was telling Craig Hutchison about that the other day. He was quite impressed. Very <laughs> impressed, in fact. Corrie, um, we'll probably go and have a drink with Miles in a minute, but is there anything else you'd like to say about what this has done for you? Oh, look, Carol, I I just think, you know, I know that you've travelled a bit and including, um, you know, during Victoria's deepest, darkest days because of 
family issues overseas. So I know that traveling has, you love it, and but it's been relatively constant. Uh, you know, the last time I went away was 2019 when we did our Cornwall walk, but I hadn't been away with, you know, with, with my partner or, you know, in a situation like this where it's just relaxed um, for, for years and years. And so as the potties have heard ad nauseum, I started saving for this trip during lockdown. I thought, that's it. There's only one place I want to go. Um, keep it tight. Keep it less expensive. Don't spend too much money on aircraft, just go to one country and train everywhere. And this has just been an absolute joy. This has been one of the best things I have ever done in my life. Not only do you get a chance to recharge, but you get a chance to reflect, don't you? Because you've got time. So you do spend a lot of time in your own head or just thinking like, what can I do better in, in my work or my life? Or how am I going to, how's it going to play out? And I think particularly for people at our age, so we're not traveling in our 20s, but we're traveling at our age, you know that how special travel can be and there aren't an awful lot of trips ahead. I mean, hopefully there will be, but there's not like years and years and years of traveling we can look forward to. As my friend so Sal said, we're running out of runways, Corrie. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're running out of runways. And as Anna from the Op Shop always says, you've got to make every post a winner. And this post has been amazing. So I would say, um, you know, save save, save. And whether you're doing, like my brother is at the moment, he's done an incredible three months around Central Australia and WA, and they have had an incredible time. Or whether you just go and live on, you know, the New South Wales coast for a couple of months, or like me having these five weeks and being so lucky in one country, you just get to know a place and it does change you. And the other thing I would say to um, just my take homes here is I've just fallen in love again with art as you know, I spend a lot of time working at the NGV. I've always written about the visual arts. I am now so connected back into that zone. And reading, Carol, you'll be pleased that the book and I have become friends again. Oh, we might hear about one in a moment. That sounds absolutely – no, it's true. There's a lot to be said for um, for looking at your life from afar and um, and making decisions or making plans. I think that's absolutely right. And I'm glad you've put your phone down and picked up – the book again, Corrie. I know you hadn't put it away completely, but, you know, I did nag you a bit about the phone, by the bed, the social media, so I'm glad to hear it. And on that note, let's say hello to Miles Thompson. Well, Corrie, yeah. you are not going to relate to this because in the spirit of where we are and not where you are, Miles has come in for the cocktail cabinet, thanks to Prince Wine Store, to talk winter cocktails. So in a moment, I might ask you about a couple of new wines or cocktails you might have tried. But Miles, I, I gather we're going to talk rum today. Rum, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big rum fan. I got turned on to it by uh, one of my very good friends who I also work with. And uh, it's one of those unsung sort of heroes. It's making a bit of a comeback, but it's actually a great mixer. Rum, I mean, white rum's a great mixer. You can't really taste it once you mix it in a cocktail. When it's Corey perfect. and I and were even younger, kind of golden we used to, rums or things we used like to that. make daiquiris, which was basically rum and whatever awesome. fruit you had available. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, and it's so it's so so versatile in in mixed drinks, you know, like rum old fashions. Yep, yum, like absolutely fantastic. Almost the best way to have an old fashioned in somewhere. I know a lot of really people, better than bourbon. Oh, I, well, I really oh. like rum, so I think 
I, yeah, I'm not a huge, I don't drink tons of old fashions, but I love rum old fashions. <laughs> My favourite cocktail at the moment. Oh, is it? Well, apart from a French 75, but I'm doing oh, dry July, so yep. no, no cocktails <gasps> for me, except for the old Banks Botanicals, which thank you for that recommendation oh, yeah, again. Good, good it's wonderful. Mm. Tell me about dark rum, though, and what we might be making for our winter cocktails. Yeah, so I picked I picked a few different rums to use, um, but if we want to talk about dark rum, plantation dark rum, yeah. and it's called the plantation dark rum. It's actually, that's what they call it. I think it's like double age. So it's uh, a lot of these great rums sort of come from the French Caribbean, um, you know, Martinique and, and, you know, Trinidad and Tobago and, and sort of places like that. Even Jamaica, of course, as well. Obviously there's great runs like out of Cuba and South America as well, just slightly different styles. I think like these really great sort of French Caribbean rums are fantastic. This is quite, quite dark. Um, and they so double double age it. They basically age it in in I think bourbon and whiskey barrels there in in Jamaica. And I think this one's sorry, this one's um, Barbados in Jamaica. And then they ship it over to cognac, where then they age it for about another six months in cognac barrels. Gee. Yeah, and then it comes out, and it's a great sort of dark rum. So I I was looking at this recipe the other day, and it was just basically like dark rum. What was it dark rum, apple juice, a bit of cinnamon, some orange peel, just basically warmed up in a saucepan and then served out. And I was just like, oh, this is the perfect rum. Wow, for, that sounds that. fabulous. Like a cinnamon stick or cinnamon yeah, powder? Yeah, just like a cinnamon stick. Drop a cinnamon stick in, bunch of rum, bunch of apple juice, a couple of, a bit, bit of, bit of um, citrus peel of your choice, orange or lemon or a bit of both. Just sort of warm it through. Yeah. Hello. Sounds good. Oh, so good. Sounds Just don't you good. can't cook it too too high because you'll burn off the alcohol, which you don't want. Except maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe that's my secret. Well, maybe so maybe that's what you need to plantation do. Plantation dark rum and what does this cost? So the plantation dark rum is seventy five dollars a bottle or seventy eight dollars a bottle. Okay, so beautiful. pretty pretty good value for what it is. Uh, the whole plantation range is fantastic. They do a pineapple run, which is brilliant. They do a Barbados rum, a Jamaican rum. They do a few different sort of single barrel stuff. Any of the plantation rums. Are great. So, if you're looking for any solid white, they do a white rum that's great. So, highly recommended. And you can get them, of course, at Prince Wine Store. Either go into the store in South Melbourne in Bank Street or www.princewinestore.com.au. Yeah, and absolutely. any other rums for us? Yeah, I've got two others. So, I've got Stolen Gold, which is actually a couple of New Zealand guys. Um, it's also a French Caribbean rum. Um, yep. That's Trinidad and, and Tobago. That's where it comes from. It's aged in whiskey barrels and bourbon barrels as well. Pretty traditional. Not aged as long, so it has a more sort of golden colour. So if you want something a bit sort of, bit of bit lighter, also good for cocktails. That's a good one. Stolen gold rum. That's sixty two. Uh huh. And then I thought I couldn't really sort of talk about rum without talking about a spiced rum. And we have one at work that we have there all the time. It's called the Beach House uh, Spiced Rum, and it's from Mauritius. Now, I know a lot of people might be a bit, I don't know if you've had spiced rums like Sailor Jerry's and stuff. They can be a bit full on. This is a bit more subtle. So, and this one almost has a more of a vanilla sort of citrus thing going on. It's a little bit more fruit spice driven with that sort of citrus peel and um, still has all that clove and that sort of those, those lovely sort of Christmas spice things going on, but a little less kind of hardcore in your face spice than maybe some other sort of cheaper spiced rums that might have turned people off in the past. And what would we mix that with? Uh, I'd probably almost have it have it on its own, but you know, in a punch or something would be good if you're going to do some sort of like, you know, some spiked punch or something. That would be that would be 
perfect, I reckon. And this Beach House Spice Drum from Mauritius, how much is this That's cost? $98 a bottle. 98 Yeah, so that's almost something like you, you could almost sip on. It's kind of pre-spiced, and, you know, I always think it's almost like in itself you could just sort of sip on it with a nice glass, yeah. Miles, that Yum. is their great recommendation. Corey, we discovered when we were planning this week's show, um, we discovered that Miles is a bit of a rum aficionado. Yeah. Well, I'm gathering that. I, I, you know, my only experience really with rum, apart from a mojito I had, I, I don't know, was it over Christmas, that actually had white rum in it. Yum. But I just have terrible memories of being an underage drinker having Bundy's in Coke. And, you know, mm. throwing up the next day. I just like, uh, no. So I'm listening <laughs> yeah. with huge interest. Bun- Bundy, yeah, I'm not a massive. My dad was a huge Bundy drinker. He loved it. The, the other thing with rums too, which I probably I didn't sort of mention before, is uh, the, the plan, the, I think the beach house and the stolen, uh, maybe the plantation rum, they're what's called agricole rums, which means they make the rum from the sugarcane juice. So they have this lovely sort of lifted, fresh kind of aromatic. And some of these other particularly like cheaper rums or these darker rums, sometimes they're made from, say, like the molasses. So they're a bit more sort of rough, a bit sort of dark. And I think Bundaberg is kind of made from a kind of molasses type thing. So it's a bit more sort of dark and rough and ready. And some of these agricole rums that you see out of the French Caribbean, they're much more, they're almost like prettier and more fragrant. So, so if we see agricole, yeah, if you see agricole on them, it's th- good. they're definitely worth trying because they're. I think that sort of you're looking at the top of the tree as far as these types of rum from sugarcane rather sugar than sugarcane juice rather than like say molasses or sugar that's been kind of yeah. Okay, so we've got the stolen gold at sixty two dollars. We've got the plantation dark rum Yum. at seventy eight. And we have got the Beach House Spice Drum from Mauritius. The um, the stolen gold is from Trinidad and Tobago. That's correct. Um, and the last one is $98. Do we get a listener discount? Yeah, you will on those. We don't normally discount spirits too much, but if, if you put in your MEWS code when you check out with these spirits, if you, if you want to jump online and grab some, yeah, you'll get the 10% off. Miles, that's wonderful. And in the past, we've spoken about wines from Sicily, mm. which is where Corrie comes to us mm. now. Corrie, have you, anything you can recommend? If you had, I suppose you've been drinking nice wine. I hope you've been drinking nice wine. Well, look, I'm I'm pretty mad on the Chardonnay here because it's it, uh, uh, most it, it's not as wooded or as heavy, I think, as some of the Chardonnays we get in Australia. But Miles, being very close to Mount Etna uh, last week, this time last week. Um, we did try a few Etna wines and I wondered, in fact, I couldn't recall and I didn't really rush to the phone to look up the show notes. I might tell you that I couldn't recall some of the Etna wines <sighs> that in the in the past on the podcast that you've recommended, yeah. but um, really few. lovely. Yeah, really, really lovely and uh, love to keep exploring mm. Sicilian wines. They're fabulous. And if you like, you know, like we always sort of talk and we've talked about it on the podcast before, if, if you like sort of Chablis-style wines, certainly the whites from Etna um, and a lot of the other Sicilian whites, but certainly the Etna whites tend to be really Chablis-like, very mineral-driven, not a lot of oak, really fantastic. So. yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, really, no, really. Um, you, you gave me a lot to think about, and and we've been trying uh, diverse wines. It, like all villages and little towns in Italy, the the wine shop is uh, is a particularly engaging experience. They let you. Um, I mean, you might do this at Prince. I don't know, but they have a little wine bar set up outside a lot of the 
little wine shops and uh, little tables and chairs and you can actually just sit there and have a glass of wine you don't have to eat or anything but the nine times out of ten i reckon the person turns around to the owner of the shop and said yeah that's a good drop i'll have a dozen of those yeah. can you pop them in the car it's a very clever way of marketing it's totally the right way to do it <laughs> It sounds, oh, Corey, it sounds idyllic. Miles, you've given us some great winter inspiration. Yeah. And so great presents too. A really lovely hostess gift, as we call them. Yeah, absolutely. And to take along a beautiful bottle of spirits, and particularly something wintry like dark rum that you can heat up with some apple juice and cinnamon and some yeah, citrus peel, for so example. Or well, that one's just a, so simple. I thought it was just like, wow, it's so easy. And it dark and stormy. So good. Dark and stormy. In that, Corey, I've been drinking just those. Rum, like rum and, rum and ginger beer or rum and ginger ale. That's beautiful. I've been drinking these fake rum cocktails mm. under the Monday label as well. And there's a dark and stormy one. Ah, okay. It's, look, it's, I won't lie. It's not quite the same. But, yeah. But I, it, I like the idea. And psychologically, it's quite nice to pour it yourself works. a faux cocktail yeah. at the end of some days. For sure. When other people are having a glass. I think so. So, Miles, as um, I've said, go to www.princewinestore.com.au or in store for your 10% listener discount. Remember that promo code M-E-S-S, that's short for messenger. And, Miles, we'll see you next week. You will. Thanks to Red Energy, it is time for BSF. And, Corrie, you as we said earlier, have been reading. Have you got a highlight for me? Yeah, one of the highlights, Carol, I was reading this when I first arrived uh, and, and met up with you and Trudy at Como, Lake Como, The Enchanted April, and it is a, it's a classic. It is a fantastic um, classic. It's very accessible, and there is a really lovely vintage, uh, Penguin Vintage or Random House Vintage edition that you can all access. Um, the author of the book is... Um, sorry, just finding it. The author of the book is Elizabeth von Arnhem. Elizabeth was born Mary Annette Beauchamp in the late 19th century in Australia. She grew up in Australia, Caro. Her wealthy parents took her on a grand tour of Europe and there she met uh, a German aristocrat, her German aristocrat husband. This was pre-World War One, and he allowed her to write. He had lots of money. They had schlosses and villas all over Europe. But in April 1921, she and her five children went to uh, – they rented a place, a castello in Portofino, oh. and, it's from, and it's from this place that she wrote The Enchanted April, which is about four, middle, four English women who, in 1921, see an ad in a newspaper – for uh, for for a Castello in in Portofino, which is available for rent, and if anybody would like to rent, please contact this gentleman. And our two main characters, Rose Arbuthnot and Lottie Wilkins, who are both members of this lady ladies' club, middle class ladies. Uh, they read the ad and they their lives for various reasons are dull or in need of a kickstart and they say, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could rent this place in this gorgeous Italian town for uh, spring, April 1921. Now, they need a bit of extra money because it's quite an expensive place to rent and so they uh, two other people and <laughs> two other women respond to their ad Lady Caroline Dester 
who is all these three women are all in their twenties, late twenties, I might add. But Lady Caroline Dester, it turns out, lost a boyfriend during World War One, hasn't really recovered. She's in her late twenties, and there's a lot of family pressure for her to marry soon. And then there is the formidable Mrs. Fisher, who's in her, I guess, her sixties or seventies, never really revealed. She was played by Joan Plowright in the film 1992 film, which of the same name, which I've never seen actually. Have you ever seen? I have. The Enchanted April. I was wondering. I, now you say Joan Plowright, I have completely seen it, and it's a wonderful film and a beautiful story. Well, Lady, uh, the formidable Mrs. Fisher is exactly that. And what happens over this month in Italy is these four unlikely friends, you know, they all soften toward one another. They discover the beauty and the joy, even of just sitting in the garden that's covered in wisteria and their lives change forever. There's a terrific secondary character, secondary cast, uh, Mellish Wilkins, who is the um, rather ambitious and bossy husband of uh, Lottie Wilkins. Lottie's rather scatty and romantic and whimsical. Her husband is the complete opposite. But when he arrives at the villa, somewhat unannounced, um, he falls madly in love with her all over again. There is Mr Briggs, who is the owner, who for, for a whole host of interesting reasons happens to turn up at the villa midway through the ladies' month there. And then there is Francesca the maid, who is a bit like the Greek chorus, loved her to bits. And I think it's such a lovely, charming book and particularly to read, as I always say, used to say in the bookshop, Caro, if you're going to a place, try and read a book that is set in the place when you're there. There's nothing like it. So That's there I true. was in Florence when we'd say goodnight and I would, we, and we'd, there were five friends. We were on a trip, five women, all discussing interesting things, all having sort of our own life-changing moments, and then I'd go back to bed in the Florence Hotel and read The Enchanted April. Highly recommend this book. Port- well, we, well, Trudy and I um, were at Portofino just before we joined you in Florence. We actually walked from Santa Margarita to Portofino and it is very touristy now and the harbour, not quite so full of, boat, of boats as when I was last there. Uh, beautiful but touristy. And I think the highlight really is the walk, getting there and then walking around to the point. Well, Countess von Arnhem, the author of this book, Elizabeth von Arnhem, she stayed at a castello that is still there, Caro. It has the rather boring name of Castello Brown. So I guess it was named after the English person who bought it originally. But the Castello Brown is actually still there, and that's where they made the 1992 movie. And the garden in that movie is just spectacular, and the house is suitably shabby and crumbling, but faded glory. And the the acting is superb. Not a lot happens, but a lot happens, if you know what I mean. I can't. I can't wait to see the movie. So tell me, what? Speaking of movies, what have you been watching or seeing? Well, speaking of not a lot happening and a lot happening, um, have you caught the Quiet Girl? Have you no, seen? I haven't caught the Quiet Girl. It's a beautiful Irish film that was on, I think, last year at the British Film Festival. It was then released earlier this year, certainly in Melbourne and Sydney. My sister kept telling me to watch it. Um, I thought it looked too sad, but. I have now seen it and I absolutely loved it. It is um, a small but a very big story. Um, It's Ireland's first Oscar-nominated international feature and it's a beautiful Irish film, desperately sad but also happy and moments of of great triumph. It's the story of Kate and, Corrie, the performance of Kate in this film, oh, it is 
just absolutely, absolutely superb. Um, a, a young actress by the name of um, Catherine Clinch. Carrie Crowley, who you would have seen before, plays her aunt. Andrew Bennett, Bennett plays her uncle. Now, this is about a girl who comes from a family, a dysfunctional family with way too many kids and way too little money and a ne'er-do-well husband. There's abuse is hinted at but never seen and she is sent to live with her, we think, distant cousins or uncle and aunt for the summer. And what happens is that she learns a new way of living. It is just so beautifully done. It is slow moving but it needs to be. Um, her awareness to her new surroundings and the way these people treat her, which is with love and care, and the lack of secrets, although the couple have their own secrets that we learn about during the film and a tragic secret, really. And um, the relationship between Kate and these two childless parents is just the most wonderful, wonderful, beautiful story, and oh, it'll it'll move you to tears. So, I highly recommend The Quiet Girl, and um, I think you can stream it still. There's a lot of good stuff, you know. Well, you'll come home and because you haven't been watching any television or watching any movies, you'll you might see it, catch it on the plane, and if you do, try and watch it. But there's a lot of good stuff coming out. Well, we Corey. have to make we have to make make hay while the sun shines, Cara, because all of Hollywood is now on strike, so we might have a um we might have a big gap in our watching at some point in the next 12 months. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of Australian films have been um put on hold too because um they've got American actresses Annette Benning was over here making a film. That's just one example. Um while I'm on a roll, I'm going to move right on to cooking. I've rediscovered a cake I made many, many years ago, a recipe I picked up with a group of friends at the Bay of Fires in Tasmania. And Bay of Fires, in fact, is a new show that's on at the moment on the ABC, which opened to lukewarm reviews, starring Marta Dusseldorp last Sunday night. Um, Don't really know what... what to say about the Bay of Fires. We might talk about that next week. But this rhubarb and cinnamon cake is a perfect winter pudding. It is absolutely delicious. It is very easy to make. Our great friend Annie Seckle asked me for the recipe and I um, forgot to give it to her and then I remembered to give it to her. She said she found it in an old country cookbook and did it anyway. But very easy. There's butter, there's brown sugar, egg, vanilla, flour, bicarb soda, salt, cinnamon, 500 grams of rhubarb, which you chop up, the rind of one lemon and sour cream, or you can use full cream and lime juice uh, and lemon juice. Oh, delicious. It's so beautiful, Corrie, and it's so easy to make. And when you come home, I'll be making it for you. Miss Jane will put that recipe on our show notes. So that was pretty interesting. Um, The Enchanted April, The Quiet Girl, and rhubarb and cinnamon cake. Thanks again to our show sponsors, Red Energy, awarded Australia's most trusted energy providers by Canstar three times. And the number to call is 131806. I'm still on a roll, so I'm going to tell you now while I'm, why I'm grumpy. I can't believe you're grumpy, or is it about the weather? No, no, the weather's fine. In fact, it's you know it's very cold mornings, but beautiful sunny days, or for the most of the time at the moment. I walked out of the media box at the MCG last Saturday and my friend and colleague Jackie Reid was deep in conversation with another colleague 
And I said, oh, this is interesting. What are you two talking about? And they said, the lack of good pubs in Elwood. I said, you've got to be joking. And then I thought about it and I thought, we've been to such wonderful, well, particularly in Amsterdam, such wonderful brown bars. We've been to beautiful wine bars and we have great wine bars in Melbourne too, I know. But where have all the great Melbourne pubs gone, Corrie? Why can't you just go to a pub and have a drink? I know if you travel over the Yarra and go north side, they're everywhere. Where are all the good south side pubs in Melbourne? This, I realise, is a first world problem. But why is it that when you walk into a pub now, it's steak night or fish night or curry night and there's a deal on and it's incredibly crowded if it's a good pub. There's no bar for you to stand on and just have a beer or a glass of wine and watch the footy. It's Everything's chrome or glass. I, I just feel that the south side of Melbourne, and I'm asking our potties to get in touch here, please tell me a good pub I can go to and just have the old-fashioned pub experience. Do you know what well, I'm talking college, about? The co- yeah, I do. The college lawn in Windsor isn't half bad. Um, you know, to be honest, Caro, um, where I live now, Sorrento Portsy Way, uh, I, I mean, the pubs are so much a part of our life as is the RSL and the surf club. But the Hotel Sorrento is just one of the great pubs. I understand why it's It's getting very corporate and renovated, though. It's beautiful, I agree. And you can still go and do Thirsty Thursday there. I understand that. You can. But but you're right right about the demise of the local pub. And, of course, they're quite expensive to keep – uh, to keep staff you know, when you, you might have 10 people or you might have 100 people. It's very hard for uh, – and they're, usually, they're often family-run, but it's very hard for businesses to sustain that um, unpredictability, which is probably one of the reasons why they have this, the steak night or the um, all-you-can-eat for $20 or whatever night it is because they know that there's going to be a guaranteed – number of people so they can work toward that. I yes. think running a pub would be, you know, running a pub as a business model would be particularly difficult. But I'm just, as I said in the, just before with Miles, I'm such a fan of the smaller sized building, which of course isn't going to take up lots of energy bill, you know, your energy bills, your catering for big numbers, all of that stuff possibly is, um, is an old formula. These small wine bars, the idea of a small bar where you can just sit outside or sit inside, have a glass of wine, maybe the fire's roaring, and these and this mixed model of inside are these wine shops. So there are vignerons who are happy to, uh, they've either, they have their own wineries, they have a shop in town, or it's somebody who is a, is, is a, is a, is a well-known wine retailer. You have the glass of wine, you say, I love that, and then you go in and talk about it with him and you learn so much and all of the stock is there. So it's a shop front, but it has this wine bar kind of pub element to it. It's a perfect model. Yeah, I think I, I think that's great and I love I love a wine bar, but I just think the old style Melbourne pub is something people still want. And as I say, there are too many on the other side of town and the corporatized, glammed up version never quite works for me. Anyway. Oh yeah, and you and you've got the the races from you know, 
Broken Hill or something on the the, the seventh from Broken Hill on the screen and the noise is loud. And as you say, the, the chrome and glass exacerbates the sound. They're pretty yucky to go in, aren't they? Where's the standard hotel when you need it on in Fitzroy? Like, <laughs> why isn't there one on our side? I really like the Flying Duck, but again, there's not much of an area now you can just stand around and watch the footy. That's one that's sort of probably on our side, but just not quite right. Now, Corrie, it's time for six quick questions and you are going to kick us off. Caro, my question to you, in which major industry or issue have you witnessed a turning of the tide? Oh, the gambling industry. And, it, you know, I think we spoke about it earlier this year, you know, the, the sort of closure of all gambling ads now, which says, you know, chances are you're about to lose, although they seem to have toned that down. And now a lot of the um, bookmakers and the gambling promoters are saying, you know, think what else you could be buying or um, you could be buying something instead. I think that is really... Uh, it's just really, it, it just puts everyone off, even the live reads on radio shows that often, you know, I'm working with people and I'm involved with. Uh, the Andrews government has announced more pokey reforms. There were people speaking up against them, incredibly David Schwartz, who seems to be a spokesman now for um, Bruce Matheson's group as their sort of anti-gambling, sort of token anti-gambling person. I don't really understand why David Schwartz would be talking about Victoria being a nanny state when they're putting these checks and balances in place that are going to prevent people from losing too much money on the pokies. I do not really understand that at all. But I just feel that there's a new CEO coming into the AFL in Andrew Dillon who actually... um, Entertained, who actually ran the first um, cl- cl- meeting of all 18 clubs this week. I know Andrew Dillon likes a punt and comes from a family who've had a flutter and have been involved in the VRC and also in the races. But I really believe that um, I think the commission, the AFL commission, who've been anti-gambling for a long time but never done anything about it because um, there was too much money, I think they're going to now start using their imagination. I mean, I think a couple of people from the AFL had a go at clubs for getting out of pokies and not having a parachute plan to replace some money. Extraordinary to me that they wouldn't just congratulate them on it. But anyway, I think the tide's turning and I think those checks and balances put in place by the government, including what you have to say at the end of every gambling ad, is pretty important. Now, Corrie, right back at you. Which arts event do you wish you were home in time to attend? Oh, Carrie, this is on Friday night as we are recording. So Friday the 21st, it's at the Elizabeth Murdoch Hall at the Melbourne Recital Centre, which is one of my favourite arts buildings in Australia. And it is it is a, a Norwegian group. Uh, they are female singers. It's a capella ensemble and they're called Sejaya, which I think is how I pronounce it, or maybe it's Sejella, S-J-A-E-L-L-A. And their one-hour performance is called Nordic Night. They have a mixture of Baroque, folk, and just pure sound that they say are out there inspired. The girls are inspired from the natural wonders and landscapes of Norway. Uh, Miss Jane, we might just cue in some music here to give Carol a taste. I'm listening to it now. Beautiful. It's re- they are so talented, these girls. You can follow them on Instagram. It's a rather lovely thing that will just pop into your feed every now and then if you like music. But I wish I was there on Friday night, Kara, because I would be at that amazing concert. 
Um, my question to you, what's your latest GLT? Well, this has come um, a, a recommendation via Anna, actually, or I think it was passed on by a listener after you and Anna actually did the podcast a few weeks ago. It is getting cold, and it's just ridiculous that you should be cold in this day and age. Yes, Melbourne's freezing at the moment, but you just need the right clothes as I was constantly reminded of in Amsterdam in the years that I've um, complained about the cold. The hot tip about the heat tech thermals from Uniqlo. Um, oh, that was my that was my tip to Anna. Yes, they're brilliant. I I, I haven't got out at well, <laughs> not at the moment because it's thirty seven degrees today. When I'm at home, I was living in them from about May. Well, I've never I've never actually heard of them. I mean, I I assume you just go to Uniqlo, do you? Just go to Uniqlo in Melbourne CBD and go to the lower ground floor, and just ask one of the ladies there, um, and they'll put you they'll put you in the right area, and you can have different weighted ones. I went for the very fine thermal, and it's it, it, it's a skin like grip. Dear, I say you lose pounds around your waist. Oh, I think my sister <laughs> wears body. one of these. She doesn't go anywhere but without so it. Warm. They're so warm, Caro, honestly, and the leggings, it is not a tight elasticised waist, which was always good for women. You know, sometimes at the end of the day we feel a bit bloated and elasticised waist can actually be really annoying. The cotton is so light and I have washed mine so many times and they just pop up like the first day I bought them. Highly recommend. Wow. Okay. That's and not too expensive? No, nineteen ninety nine. I don't know how Uniqlo do it for the price. I really, really don't know how. I'll actually, that, that's a good one for me and Brendan. Now, Corey, what's this week's great-grandparent moment? Okay, so not as in great-grandparent, but a terrific grandparent moment yes. for us. Eve news from Ballarat that Hattie, she'd won the Kindness Award and she was presented with it in assembly. Uh, no one knew. The parents said, gosh, we would have been there. Um, we would have all probably gone, I reckon. Quite extraordinary that somebody who is six is given a kindness award. I gather, talking to my gang here, that the, the kindness awards happen at a lot of schools. And, in fact, Jano was here said, oh, yeah, Jack Jack won his in prep and then he went home and bashed up his two little brothers. <laughs> <laughs> they do give a lot of awards these days, don't they? But well done. If you're going to win an award, I a know. kindness award is a good one. It's a good one, isn't it? It's the best. Caro, what movie are you most hotly anticipating? Are you going to say Barbie? No, I'm not going to say the Barbie movie, Corrie. You've already anticipated that. And I'll tell you what, mm. the campaign is well and truly underway. And look, obviously, um, Oppenheimer is one that um, everyone is talking about here. And it was being heavily promoted in, um, in Europe as well. But no... It's the new Wes Anderson film. Have you been across that? No, I haven't heard a thing. Oh, it, it's just, it's got one of those unbelievable um, casts. You know, it's just sort of got everyone. It's called Asteroid City. Let me take you through some of the people in it. Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartzman, Margot Robbie, Tom Hanks, Adrian Brody, Rupert Friend, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton. I mean, the list goes on. Steve Carell, Matt Dillon, Tilda Swinton, Hope Davis, Goodness, Jeff what's Goldblum. The, what's the premise? Jeff Goldblum, Leif Schreiber, William Defoe. Look, it, it just looks absolutely fascinating. Um, it's, a base, it's basically about world-changing events and the disruption itinerary of a junior stargazer space cadet convention in a desert town of America. 
um, I think it's set around the mid-50s, like 1955. Um, it sort of was originally described about a. Um, it was going to be a group of brainy teenagers. But, uh, look, I don't know what it's going to be like. I've never seen a Wes Anderson film that I um, haven't really enjoyed. And I just think someone said it was a bit like being stuck inside Wes Anderson's head. But after The French Dispatch, which I absolutely love, not everyone did, but I did, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Now, Corrie, you're going to um, take us home with an amazing fact. I'm going to take you home with an incredible fact, Caro. The other day when we were at Tamina, um, as as many of you know, and you can look at a map if you're not sure where's where, Tamina sits in the in the foothills on the coast uh, with Mount Etna right there, right above you, a live volcano. It's the most extraordinary place. And um, we were everywhere we go. Uh, I mean, this is a good thing about having your phone, Carol, when you travel because you can actually end up being your own tour guide. So we're sitting there at dinner and um, Pete said, you know, I'm just I'm interested in Mount Etna. It's been smoking all day. It's so interesting. And then he turned to us all and said, okay, nearest the pin, when do you think that was the last time that Mount Etna erupted? So someone said, oh, 1861. Somebody said, oh, 1912. Someone else, I think I said, oh, probably let's say the 1940s. I'll go a bit more recent. He said, eight hours ago. No. <laughs> No, that I, th- morning, this was a question on Millionaire morning, the other night, actually, about which countries still have live volcanoes. It, so it, that morning, the morning of July fourteenth, um, there was it July fourteenth. No, it wasn't July fourteenth. July the tenth. Sorry, Monday, July the tenth. Not Bastille. There had day. been a, li- a little eruption. It's called a small minor strombolinan type explosion. What does that mean? It means it means there's an eruption that lasts. This one lasted a couple of minutes, and it produced ash, which was caused by um, water, water, and and the hot coals. Um, sort of, basically, was it the was the reason for this? And um, the ash flew up a few hundred meters. We noticed a particularly stormy Etna that day. We kept saying, is it cloud or is it like there's a bit of smoke coming up, but it seems to be a lot. Maybe there's a cloud. No, it was all happening as we were uh, waking up that morning to go on our morning walk. Who would have thought, Cara, who would have thought? I mean, when Pete said eight hours ago, we just all burst out into laughter and then became complete Mount Etna obsessive types. (laughs) There is a live cam that you can – Anybody can. Any of our potties can jump onto a live cam view of the volcano's northeastern side. Etna erupts on an average 200 times a year, and it is in constant activity. Um, in Last year, the most recent big eruption last year in May, it forced flights to be cancelled out of Catania, the nearby um, biggest town and airport. And um, it is. It's a live volcano. So there you are. I just thought that little fact might be of interest. Well, I'm glad that you, um, you're here to tell the tale, Corrie. That is great <laughs> news. That is great news. Look, there's so much more to talk about. It's great to see you, even though it's remote. Um, next week, 
when we talk, I'll be sitting opposite you and you will have just jetted home. Everyone will be very happy to see you. Thanks again to our show sponsors, Red Energy, and, of course, to Prince Wine Store. And don't forget, dear Carol and Corrie, our bonus episode is back. Send your question or dilemma to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And every week, a lucky listener will receive a gift from Ello Botanicals, all natural Australian-made facial oils. And, Corrie, all the way from beautiful Sicily, what do we say? Ciao, Bella. We actually say don't shoot the messenger as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And if you'd like to support the podcast, tell a friend about the show. Perhaps they haven't discovered it yet. You can send us an email to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at don'tshootpod and sign up for our weekly email. We'll send you the show notes straight to your inbox. And of course, thanks to our show sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. Hi, it's producer Jane Neild here. And when I'm not producing Don't Shoot the Messenger, I have the pleasure of jumping in a podcast studio every couple of weeks with Shana Blaze, of course, interior designer, judge on the block. Shana, the Homestyle Podcast, it's DIY, it's design, it's renovation. What can people expect? Uh, solving problems, I think. You know, we get, you know, we have our little hashtag, what would Shana do? So people have questions of like, you know, I'm going through this at the moment. How can I solve it? But it's also talking about how we can save money. What are the new things coming out? And just talking how your lifestyle works with your home rather than you trying to fit into your home. You'll find a link in the show notes to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And you can subscribe to the Homestyle Podcast with Shana Blaze wherever you get your podcasts.